With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey, podcast listener. Do you love talking about movies, music, TV, comics, and games? Then you should be listening to The Great Pop Culture Debate, back in bigger than ever for season nine. This season, the panelists discuss the best James Bond film, the best Elton John single, the best Nickelodeon original series, the best Batman villain, and so much more. Find the show wherever you listen to podcasts, or head to greatpopculturedebate.com. More than 100 topics are already available. Subscribe today. Hello, I'm George Cup, And I'm Callum Gurr. And you're about to listen to the podcast version of To Be Discussed with Cup and Gurr. Please note that this is a podcast, so it's not a live broadcast. So please do not try to vote in any of the polls or send in messages to any of our discussions, as your message will not be registered, but you may still be charged. Also, please note that not all of the opinions expressed in this podcast are our actual opinions, but may be expressed to create a better discussion. Anyway, enjoy the podcast and don't miss our live broadcast every Sunday on Wizard Radio Station. everybody and welcome to another episode of To Be Discussed with Cup and Gurr. My name is Callum Gurr and I'll be joined by my co-host, Amplis Watsit, George Lawrence Cup. Hello everyone. This evening, Callum and I will prove to you that you can have impassioned debates whilst holding vastly different opinions without falling out at the end of the night. So this evening, we will be discussing, due to COVID-19, will we see a new approach to working from home? Who should be the next Liberal Democrat leader? And lastly, will you wait at least a year before venturing abroad? With each of these discussions being accompanied by polls, which you have the chance to vote on at wizardradio.co.uk forward slash listen. And these discussions will be open until the end of the song break between each topic. But first, last week we asked for you guys to send in your questions for George and I to answer. And we've had some really good questions, as always. The first comes from Sean, who's a bit of a fan. He said, Hi, Cuppinger. I hope you read my message. I listen to your show every week. Thank you very much, Sean. We really appreciate that. Um, I wanted to uh, uh, your opinions on restaurants. It seems like even before lockdown, restaurants were going bankrupt, shutting down nearly once a month. Big chains, independent restaurants... They are losing money and shutting down the whole time. And a lot of people say things like, it's just hard for a restaurant to survive anymore. 
So I want to know why you think this is, and do you think we will ever see a time where restaurants just aren't a thing anymore? A lot of places on um, a lot of places are on Uber Eats and apps like that nowadays, and they aren't even real restaurants. They're just kitchens that make food to sell on apps. What do you think will happen in the future, George? What do you think about the restaurant industry? Well, firstly, Sean, uh, hello to you too. And thank you so much for uh, listening to our show every week. Um, it's very nice to know that we, we have uh, some listeners out there. Um, but the, it's a very interesting point you raise regarding restaurants, because definitely before um, the pandemic happened, I do think there were a a lot of big chain restaurants that were shutting down and weren't getting the business that they usually did used to have. Um, I personally think that there were actually where Callum and I are from, which is a coastal area. I think there were a lot of independent restaurants coming up and a lot of them were doing rather well um, and have been surviving quite well as well, actually. Uh, but I, I definitely do think that before the pandemic, there was this kind of attitude of not going out as much, being able to eat in um, and get a takeout. Um, and because of things like Uber Eats and, and Just Eat and those kind of apps and businesses, it allowed people not to have to worry about, you know, dressing themselves up to go out and everything. They could just have an equally good meal, I suppose, but in their own home, in the comfort of their own home, watching TV and not having to, to, to pay money to, you know, get petrol, get a taxi out and things like that. However, I do think now that because we've had this pandemic and because people have been stuck inside more or less for three months, we are going to see an increase in the usage of restaurants. And people, I think as well, have realized how much of a privilege it was to be able to go out and eat and to go out and see your families and and to, to celebrate by going out and, and, and going to nice restaurants and things. And I think because of that, we will see an increase in the usage of our restaurants. And I think it's a really, really good thing. I mean, recently um, we've seen the owner of Bella Italia and um, I think it's Cafe Rouge. Um, they've just announced they're going to decrease or sorry, get rid of a certain amount of jobs. Um, but I think those jobs will, will hopefully be replaced rather quickly because there will be an increase in that business and that industry. What do you think, though, Callum? <clears throat> I, I think... Um... But, I mean, as Sean says, I mean, restaurants have been struggling for a while. I think, as you say, George, it's, it's interesting because we, we come from an area now that's a, a bit on the up as such. I mean, Margate's doing, or at least prior to, to lockdown and things like that, it was doing rather well for itself. And Fanet in general was doing, um, was was growing as such. And, and to me, I think it was actually generally the opposite way in terms of that actually probably more restaurants were opening than I'd ever seen before. Um, in terms of the, the longer term picture, I don't see it ever coming to a point where, where restaurants just aren't a thing. Um, I think we will see restaurants take on a lot more of the kind of characteristics of of that that we associate with these online delivery places. I mean, you can imagine Say if you go to a shopping centre, for example, um, and you um, wanted to, you know, book a table and order your food already whilst you're around shopping, sort of thing. I, I can see apps coming along that make this possible. Um, I can I can see it being much more possible um, to 
kind of follow in the footsteps of what Weatherspoons do and, and allow you to rather than have um, any kind of interaction with a, an actual waiter or waitress, you just order through an app. I think we'll see things like that, but I, I just don't see um, that um, restaurants completely are going to go. In terms of what you were saying, George, about that people will go to restaurants more post-lockdown, post I think certainly that's true initially. I think there will be a, a large clamouring um, for people to, to go to restaurants and pubs, and, and we're obviously um, we're seeing that play out this weekend. Um, however, I think probably in the longer term, that's when restaurants and, and pubs as well will, will struggle a lot more um, because of the fact that there's a hell of a lot of people that are starting now to be made redundant. I mean, unfortunately, as, as good as the furlough scheme was, all it's done is, is delay um, what has been inevitable for many people in their jobs. Uh, and so we, when that happens, when people have got less disposable income, it means that people are going to be going less to restaurants. Um, let's move on to our second opinion from Tara. And she says, I know this is a really difficult question, but when do you think social distancing will end? Do you think we might be able to get within two metres of another person before the end of the year? Or do you think the world will still be socially distanced into 2021? Asking for a friend. Well, Callum, could you answer her friend's question, please? <laughs> of course, Tara. Um, I think probably, I mean, obviously the, the two meter rule is already now, at least from a, from an English perspective, it's, it's already, uh, or at least from, from, uh, the fourth, I think it was, or the third, or I can't remember exactly, but basically the two meter rule has, has in a sense declined a lot. And, and it's not used in every setting now, and, and even in the devolved nations, that's the case as well. Um, and so I think based upon that progress, it seems to me that we may well see it, um, that we that you don't really have to social distance in, in the same way as what we have been doing. But I think probably realistically, that's that's not going to happen before the end of the year I, I don't think that that we will get to a point where it's don't worry about social distancing at all because obviously the advice right now is in certain situations one meter is more appropriate um, but when you can it should be two meters and I, I think that the government will keep that guidance up until we get a vaccine to be quite honest it's I mean what will probably end up happening is that so many people aren't actually observing that, um, that it almost fades into obscurity itself as a rule. I, d I don't think the government guidance will change in terms of social distancing and, and saying that there's no social distancing um, by the end of the year. Uh, what do you think, George? Yeah, um as Callum's rightly said, it, it, we've we've already seen um, the transition from two meters to what the government is calling one meter plus, um, and that is essentially saying, you know, in certain settings that we can break the two meter barrier, um, but we have to make sure that we at least stay that one meter apart. But I mean, it, it's interesting because I, I I think to myself, in any normal circumstance, I believe that I am 
about a meter away from someone anyway because i'm very aware of someone's kind of social space and i don't want to get into their face or anything so even in a working environment i always try and ensure that i am a, a meter apart so i i think um it that's that policy is quite easy to keep in place and and to ensure that people are doing and, and respecting um i, I think callum is is 100% right in saying that this social distancing rules are going to probably be in place for for a while until a vaccine has been found and is widely uh, circulated because until then you know this this virus is still very much among us i know it's going down and everything but it is still very much among us the interesting thing regarding social distancing and all of the the uh, legislation that has been brought out from the government is that they've changed the way that the legislation is implemented so it's changed from what's called legislation which is can be um implemented by law it's now changed to guidance now guidance is obviously not can doesn't have any significant ground within the police the police can't do anything to stop you by not abiding by it it is simply guidance on what should be done and i think that's a very important thing in the way that the government is going so as such they are saying you should be doing this but we don't have any power to stop you not doing it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then moving on to the last uh, question it's from Jamie. Jamie says, I saw this poll on the Wizard Radio website. I think it was a joke, but it got me thinking. The poll asked something similar to, would you rather humanity went back to the moon or we focus on going to Mars? At first, I thought it was really obvious, but it's stuck in my head and I don't know what I would answer. What do you think? George. Well, I would definitely say as much as I would love um, us to visit the moon again, I think that I would more so love us to uh, go to Mars because it's just that that extra distance. It's the the planet that is very unknown. I mean, yes, we put probes on there and everything, but a human has never stepped foot on that. And I think to have that as an accomplishment as the human race would be incredible. Um, And for me, I think it would be really, really important. And I mean, you know, we might actually find out whether there is life on Mars. What do you think, Alan? Yeah, I I agree with you. I mean, I'm no, I'm no expert in these things, but I would think that the kind of scientific benefits from going to Mars for the first time will be, um, or, or, or at least having a, a man on Mars for the first time would be um, more beneficial than going back to the moon. So I suppose for the kind of long-term benefit of humanity and science and things like that, um, I would say going to Mars would be more important for me but then again i mean there is obviously things that they haven't done on the moon or places on the moon that they haven't been to that maybe could have as much scientific value as as going to mars so um i'm kind of hedging my bets a bit but instinctively i'd go to mars right then uh remember we'll be announcing what the question will be for you to send in your opinions on at the end of tonight's show so make sure you're ready for that for the chance to be featured in this segment of next week's show We've reached time for our first song break this evening, so we'll be back very soon. Hello and welcome back to To Be Discussed. So let's move on to our second discussion of this evening. And we're asking, due to COVID-19, will we see a new approach to working from home? So ever since the pandemic, the government guidance has clearly said that if uh, you can't 
socially distance at work, then you must work from home. And as such, many companies and businesses have put a lot of money into allowing their employees to be able to work from home um, over over online, uh, on computers and virtually as well. They've been able to hold meetings through Zoom, Skype and different applications like that. Now, as time has gone on, even as social distancing has relaxed, some businesses have chosen to still keep their employees working at home virtually. Um, for example, my mother, she works for um, Kent County Council as an occupational therapist, and they have decided to keep her working from home because it's easier for them. And also it will cost them less money to rent out an office space because they won't need it, because obviously all of their employees will be from home. Now, it's a very interesting point. Does this mean that companies will now look at ways of ensuring that their employees can stay at home by uh, saving the company's money, by not having to rent all this space out, by having virtual meetings, making sure people don't have to spend money through petrol and travel and things like that? Is it a new face for business? Who knows? Callum, what do you think? I think we definitely will see a new approach. Um, I, I think we've already, I mean, as you alluded to in your instructions, we've already seen companies obviously having to because they've been forced, but they've had to put in place mechanisms for people to work from home. And I think we will see companies and employees lean upon those mechanisms a lot more when they can. And I, 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 I think that's going to have benefits to, to employees in, in terms of their mental health. I think there's a, there's a limit um, to the extent to which you can take a new approach to working from home. I mean, a lot of businesses just need physical interaction, not necessarily because the actual nitty gritty of what they do is actually in any way enhanced by physically being there. But quite often it's just the kind of personal relationships that you build up which you would only really do in that real face-to-face -face setting where you're actually within kind of touching distance um, of each other, obviously socially distance where, <laughs> where applicable. Um, and, and so obviously last year I, I worked in um, I worked in social marketing um, and worked closely with, with a number of clients. Um, and a lot of the time, um, although, I mean, I, I didn't have many physical interactions with, with the clients, but, but my bosses did. And a lot of the time, some of the kind of niggly issues that were maybe um, causing us um, to, to not be as productive in our work as, as we could be, quite often the, these issues were solved face to face in, in the meetings that only happened once a week or once a fortnight where you physically all go to the same place and you're all in the same room together. And it was only then that these things got solved. Um, and, and I think it's for that reason that um, uh, working from home can't be the overall solution for, for everyone. For a lot of businesses, they just need that, that interaction. Now, even if it's just because you end up eating lunch together, it can sometimes just strike up that personal relationship, which then means these, these underlying issues, these underlying conflicts, sometimes they can, they can get solved. Um, what do you think, George? Um, I definitely think there is there will be a new approach to uh, working from home. <clears throat> so many companies have had to ensure that things are in place to um, allow their employees to to have the 
technology to to work from home and I, and I don't think companies will actually want to waste all of that money that they've spent um and and I think they are going to look at a new approach of doing it for example um where I work we um in our office all of my colleagues um worked from home apart from myself who went into the office but they all worked from home it was all i mean yeah there were some hiccups here and there with the technology but we coped um and because of that it's allowed even now um that we're still having people work from home um occasionally we might have an extra person in the office now but it's still very very much getting making sure people work from home and in actual fact it's been quite a benefit for them i do though very much agree with with you callum that uh, in terms of mental health someone being at home consistently especially if they live by themselves would be incredibly hard it, it's such a um it puts your mind at such a, a good and healthy position when you are working with people that you get on with that you you can have conversation with on a daily basis and I think that is so important especially when you're working and, and when you work by yourself as well it's very hard to kind of encourage yourself into getting tasks done and and uh, self-motivation can be very very hard so when you are with your colleagues in a in a office i think that can be very very much um helps and it's very much a benefit of making sure you get work done now callum you you obviously alluded to the fact that you you worked in um london in in the office and if you were still there i we can pretty much guess if you weren't furloughed you would be working from home how do you think in yourself you would have coped with work from home and and, and do you think you could have done the job as well at home uh see i think there's probably benefits and drawbacks but for from my situation that working from home would have would have brought i wouldn't have had such a deathly commute to be honest and that that's going to be really beneficial i mean sitting on public transport for uh four hours sometimes more a day um it is going to sap anyone's mental health even if they've got the strongest mental health in the world and then it certainly did mine um, so, so, so it'd be really, really beneficial in that way to not have to do that commute every day and be able to get up at, you know, eight o'clock ready to start work at night. But then there would have been the negatives in terms of not, not seeing, um, not seeing people. And sometimes, you know, when you're getting a little bit stressed, the real good, nice thing about an office environment, or at least where I worked, was sometimes if people could see your stress, they'd be like, "Come on, let's go get a coffee" or something like that. Um, and, and obviously you wouldn't have someone to do that. Um, and I, I also think for me, working from home would just be immensely challenging anyway, just because concentrating, to, to be quite frank. I mean, when you're in an office environment, it's amazing how sometimes fast the day can go and, and how much you can end up getting done. But when you're outside of that and when you're in kind of this weird place where it's really a place where you would associate with leisure and you're trying to do work I think that'd be really hard and I, I don't um I, I don't envy anyone really other than the fact they're getting paid and they've got a job but <laughs> other than that I don't envy anyone that's got to work from home at the moment because I think it would really really be um immensely challenging I, I mean George obviously um as you say you haven't really been been working from home although you you've virtually been in in the office by yourself most of the time um so do do you think that you found it challenging being in the office by yourself 
Oh, absolutely, 100%. Um, especially, I would say about a month into the, the whole uh, pandemic and everything, I, I, met, I faced a very big mental challenge where I was very i felt very very lonely um and it was it was very challenging um and it was it was very hard to get around because i am someone that feeds off people around me i love having people around me i love talking to them i love making them laugh and and everything like that and for going going into a, an environment for at that time i was working nearly 12 hours a day um it was so draining of my mental health and and it really really did challenge me in in being uh, determined to get work done because i just i lost the drive to really do it because i i suppose you could argue i, I in some way i lost the love of of what i was doing um and it did really really affect me and it made me realize how much i appreciate having my colleagues around me i mean we did have virtual um facetimes my my boss always facetime me every single day if not twice a day but even still as much as it is nice seeing someone's face on the screen it is never ever the same of um actually seeing someone in person and being able to give someone a hug um and things like that and i think as well at the time because i couldn't see um my friends uh such as yourself callum that made it harder as well for me it really really did but do you think though that we could see if we go for i suppose business is a bit of a weird word to use for it but if we look at kind of councils and governments obviously the government brought in very much a virtual platform to allow their members to um, speak in parliament and also we've seen local and uh, county councils put virtual platforms in place so they can their members can speak through that because a lot of the members obviously come from all over the area so do you think there is a way forward for those kind of businesses or those um, kind of platforms for virtual meetings to take place to ensure that there is more attendance and to make sure that people can um, actually get to certain votes and meetings easier? Yeah, I, I, I personally think it absolutely should be. Um, it should be a, a more standard practice. I mean, if we think about local councils, um, quite often, although obviously there are exceptions rather to the role, but quite often local councils are almost entirely retired that are councillors mm. um, but if we opened it up so that there, there was more of an opportunity to, to virtually speak and virtually attend meetings we may well see it that it's, it's opened up a lot more to, to people with with different kind of um, working hours and, and things like that and, and obviously in terms of parliament I think it would be greatly beneficial and, and I think that given um, the fact that a number of MPs are in the kind of at-risk category, either due to health conditions or due to their age, um, I think it makes perfect sense in the short term, at least, to have kind of virtual attendance. Mm -hmm. um, but I, I think it should be a, a longer term thing because we're in the uh, 21st century. I mean, we, we, we've got to act like it sometimes. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree with you on 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 those points. And also, um, what I've found in in some of the meetings that I've been in regarding the council is that some of the members, the younger members especially, um, that wouldn't normally want to speak up in front of everyone because it's virtually. Obviously, you're not actually looking at everyone physically. 
um, they've been able to have the encouragement and confidence to actually speak up in areas that sometimes they wouldn't have been able to. And I think stuff like that is actually really encouraging to build someone's confidence to speak up for their residents. Yeah. Um, and how do you think this poll is going to go? I think most people will say yes. Uh, I'll say 65%. What about you? Um, yeah, I'm going to go for 75%. Make it interesting. Um, but as always, there is only one way to find out, and that is for you guys to vote on this poll. Due to COVID-19, will we see a new approach to working from home? And you can do that at wizardradio.co.uk forward slash listen. And we'll be back after this. Hello and welcome back to To Be Discussed. So before that break, we asked the question, due to COVID-19, will we see a new approach to working from home? And to find out the results of that poll, please go to our Twitter page. That's at Wiz Radio. Right then, time to move on to our third discussion of this evening. And we are asking who should be the next Liberal Democrats leader? So fresh from a general election, or semi-fresh anyway, uh, <laughs> where the party gained votes but lost seats, including that of its then-leader, Joe Swinson, the Liberal Democrats are in the midst of a leadership election. Britain's historic third party has two candidates with fairly different visions for the party battling it out, at least in comparison to their last contest, where the two candidates were offered virtually the same proposition. On one side, you've got Sir Ed Davey, the former energy secretary in the coalition years and the current acting leader of the party. Mr Davey had centred his campaign around the slogan vision, experience, leadership and proposes that the party focus on Britain's care crisis and creating a green revolution. On the other side is Leila Moran who was part of the party's 2017 intake of MPs and hence is post-coalition. She has framed her campaign around education and the environment under the slogan, Move Forward Together. George, who do you as a Conservative fear more as Liberal Democrats leader, Leila Moran or Sir Ed Davey? Well, it's a very interesting uh, question in, in, in itself that you've asked me there. I, I, I kind of think... In a way that if I was looking at the person that would take away the conservative vote more, I do think it would be um, Ed Davies that would would do that. Sorry, Ed Davies that would do that, because I, I believe that he would bring about a more kind of a, a centralist argument. And I think that the platform that he stands on, because obviously he was part of the coalition government under uh, David Cameron and Nick Clegg. I think a lot of those people that would probably see him as a safe bet to vote on if you were originally a, a conservative voter or a conservative kind of floater voter. Um, so I, I think that Ed Davey would possibly be more of a challenge for the conservatives because it's more like he would take away votes from conservatives. But I think in terms of challenging for government, then you could there is definitely an argument to say that Leila Moran is is in a very good position because she is, uh, as you said in your introduction, she is of the new breed of the Lib Dem. She was brought in after the coalition. So anything regarding that where the Lib Dems got a lot of blame throughout the coalition, she doesn't have any 
anything to worry about because her name isn't tarnished by whatever happened during the coalition. She can absolutely focus on what is new about the Lib Dems and take them forward and put new policies in place that she wants to take in place. And I really, really think that she can make some ground up on the left side of the party. And if she does so, um, depending on which way Labour move, I think she could be rather effective. Now, do I believe she's, she could be effective enough to uh, ever really challenge the government? Then no, I don't think so as much, but never say never. Um, it will definitely be a very interesting to see which way this goes. But for me, I, if I look at it as if I was going to be, if I was in the Liberal Democrats, I think I would personally back um, Ed Davey purely because I think his viewpoints more marry up with mine. But ultimately, I think Leila Moran would, will make a very good outspoken leader, which I think is very much what the Lib Dems mean. But, Mr. Gurr, um, as a former Liberal Democrat member, who uh, will you be batting for? Uh, so if I was still a member, I'd certainly would be batting for, for Leila Moran. Um, I, I think... As I kind of alluded to in, in the introduction, I actually think although there's been a lot of um, suggestions with the Lib Dem leadership race that, uh, that, that this is actually a battle really for the soul of the Liberal Democrats. On the one side, you've got Leila Moran, who said she wants to kind of take the Liberal Democrats to be more, more radical than, than Labour uh, and, and stands very much on the party's left and, and, and the anti-coalition to a certain extent. And then on the on the kind of right side, you've got Ed Davey, who's appealing much more to kind of centrism. And and he wants to still basically say that the coalition was overall a good thing and that the Liberal Democrats done well during coalition. I actually think that it's very much overstated how much a, a kind of battle it is for the, for the soul of the party. I think that actually very broadly, um, Ed Davey and Leila Moran's visions aren't that different to the extent that when I talked about in your introduction that they're two priorities each, they overlap in terms of environment. Um, I think for me, the reason why I would say that Leila Moran is is the better candidate is because, first of all, in comparison to what Liberal Democrats normally are, she's a lot more gung-ho. I think sometimes the Liberal Democrats can be a little softy-softy and and they aren't very instinctive in making their judgments, which is a good thing in many, many ways. We need a lot more nuance in debate. But quite often uh, in politics, the, the media want clarity and they, and they want people that will take action straight away. Um, and the, the example I'll give between the two candidates is on um, UBI, Universal Basic Income, which... Um, Leila Moran has come out very much strong, strongly in, in favour of now. She's made it quite a key part of her leadership bid. Whereas Ed Davies very much still adopted the same position that Joe Swinson did and he did in the last leadership election, which is let's do testing. Let, let's see, see whether it works. And although I agree in principle with the fact that it, it should be tested first and we have to make sure that it's right before we completely disrupt our kind of social safety net, that kind of nuance isn't going to get through in most leadership debates. And, and a lot of the time, it's whether you're for or against things. And I think sometimes Ed Davey will, 
will just do that thing that a lot of Liberal Democrats do, where they talk themselves around so much that no one knows what their actual position is. And I think that kind of then ties into the other reason why I think Leila Moran's probably a stronger candidate, um, in that I think she's just a much clearer communicator. And I think that's shown by the fact that she's got quite a lot of media coverage, considering that she's never held a, um, a, a significant kind of brief for the Liberal Democrats. She obviously never ha- held a position in the coalition government, but she she gained a lot of, of, of media coverage really, really quickly. And I think that's because she speaks well and because of the fact that she's just got something a bit more about her that speaks to ordinary, ordinary people. Um, and, and so on, for those two reasons, mainly would be why um, I would say that the Liberal Democrats would be better placed to, to to back Leila Morano there, David. Mm. So, so I mean, as as we've we've known, it, it it takes a lot for the Liberal Democrats to really make any significant grounds in ensuring that they get enough MPs um, to hold any significant office within um, Parliament. What do you think going forward, if it's Leila or Ed? What do you think is the main argument the Lib Dems need to take forward? Um, to ensure that they can have a significant seats at the next general election? Uh, That's a really good question. Um, And and I suppose it kind of taps into a little bit why I'm no longer a member of the Lib Dems. Um, I I think really they've, they've got to say, they've got to just give themselves a reason for existing, to be honest. Mm. Um, I, I mean, obviously they use Brexit very well um, to give themselves a reason for existing um, post-coalition, and now they've got to find that that crucial issue that that they are fundamentally different. I mean, f- for my personal policy preferences, I think that the fact that the, if the Liberal Democrats fully gung ho backed universal basic income. I think it's an incredibly liberal policy to have, but also it taps into the kind of social democratic equality um, kind of idea, um, because not only does it provide a kind of basis so that no, no one lives in poverty, but it's not just saying this is how you should spend your money. So it's allowing that element of freedom for people. Uh, and so I think that that's a really big fundamental building block that they, that they can then use and i think um leila moran recently tweeted about the fact that she, that she felt that um for the lib dems um their key vision that they are offering is people the freedom to live at how they please um whether that's in terms of you know lgbt plus rights or whether it's in terms of that really basic thing of yes we will effectively hand you money but we're not telling you how to spend it uh, yeah. and so i think Almost, it's a really cliched answer that probably doesn't really answer the question, but they've just got to kind of rediscover liberalism. They've got to rediscover social democracy and actually fully gung ho commit to those things. Mm-hmm. I, I, I think that <clears throat> what you're saying is definitely, definitely a, a very clear argument to have because personally, I think that unfortunately the Lib Dems have been very easy to kind of be, um, associated with either the conservatives by being you know blue blazers with yellow rosettes or yeah. by going the other way and being red blazers with yellow 
with yellow rosettes. And, and I think they've got to really show that they are a centralist party, but have the viewpoints that do incorporate the views of certain conservative policies and Labour policies, but ultimately then publish and really push the ideas of liberalism. And I think unfortunately for so long, I think if you ask the majority of people, they have, they people wouldn't actually know what true liberalism is. And if the Lib Dems truly took that platform and that social argument on, I think people would actually wake up to it a lot more and think, actually, that is a good idea. Yeah, I completely agree with you. And, and looking at the, now the wider contest rather than this individual part, who who do you think is going to win the leadership? Just very quickly. Um, I think I do think that. Um, oh, I think Layla's going to get it. I think it's going to be very very close, but I think Layla is going to be able to open up a certain uh, interest that Ed won't be able to. What What do you think? See, I'm actually going the other way. I, at the start of the contest, I would have said absolutely Layla will win. But recently we've seen Tim Farron, the former Lib Dem leader, and Daisy Cooper, who's someone that you would think would broadly align with Leila Moran's more anti-coalition views. But they've both backed Ed Davey. And I think wow. in the past week, for whatever reason, I don't know if there's something behind the scenes, but there seems to have been a movement against Leila Moran. I mean, there's quite a while yet in terms of their leadership campaign, so it's not impossible that she could make back that ground. But... I actually think that now it's Ed Davies' contest to lose. Wow. wow right wow. then, uh, we've reached time for another song break, but it's time for you guys to vote away on this poll. So the question is, who should be the next Liberal Democrats leader? And those options are Leila Moran or Sir Ed Davies. Uh, you can do that with the radio, code.uk, for slash listen, and we'll be back very soon. Hello and welcome back to To Be Discussed. So before the break, we asked who should be the next Liberal Democrats leader. And to find out the results to that poll, head over to our Twitter page. That's at WizRadio. Right. OK, let's move on to our fourth discussion of this evening. And we're asking, will you wait at least a year before venturing abroad? So as time has gone on throughout the coronavirus pandemic, we have seen obviously social distancing measures relaxed and we are now slowly being allowed to go abroad without having to come back and self-isolate for two weeks. Um, areas and countries like France, Germany, Italy, Spain, we can now travel freely to and not have to worry about coming back and self-isolating. But obviously, the coronavirus is still very much out there. Wherever we go, it is still present. So will you wait at least a year, I suppose, until a vaccine is created, until you actually properly go venturing abroad on holiday? Callum, are you going to wait a year? Uh, I probably will end up waiting a year, but it won't be on <laughs> purpose. Um, I, I think personally, if if, uh, if I can find a nice, um, decent, cheap, cheap deal to go abroad uh, in the next few months, I would definitely consider going myself. Um, 
I, I think the thing is, I'm, I'm obviously not going to go to somewhere where, you know, it's got a massive spike in terms of cases or, or where they're in, in their own lockdown. But if if we I go to somewhere which doesn't have their own lockdown and, and doesn't have a, a massive amount of cases, then I don't really see the difference in, in between that and going to the pubs in the UK in many ways. Um, if we think about it, either way, you could end up with coronavirus. That is the simple mat, uh, fact of the matter. Um, and so I think you have to then obviously make sure that you're not reckless about these things. But for me, I'm, I'm, if I can help it, I won't be waiting a year. But obviously that does slightly depend upon it. If we have a second spike here, then, then that would be very, very different. And obviously we've got to, uh, as Boris likes to tell us, we've got to use our common sense a little bit sometimes. <laughs> uh, <laughs> what do you think, George? Um, well, I actually plan on, on going to France at the end of August um, this year to go down to the south of France. I will be driving down. So I, I for me, I think the biggest thing about going abroad is I, I if I do go abroad, I want to be in a country that I know reasonably well um, and I want to be able to get there via car. Um, because, I mean, I've been advised and told by my doctor um, not to use uh, air, airplanes. Whether that advice changes over the next couple of months, I don't know. But because obviously airplanes are, you're just circulating your own, in your own air. And if someone's got coronavirus on there, then, well, I will, will probably catch it because I'm one of the vulnerable. Um, so I, I think that it's um, definitely, definitely something that I will look at because I don't think I will go further abroad than France because I like to be in my own environment. I'm going to go on the Euro tunnel, which means I sit in my car. I'm not getting out anywhere um, and everything like that. So, um, so yeah, I, I think it's, it's definitely as time goes on, um, it's definitely something I will more and more look at, but um, yeah, I, I think France will be it for me. Do you, um, do you think Callum that, this would be the attitude of of many people and, and and as such do you think that people will will choose to holiday in their own country a lot more i think so probably that people will holiday a lot more internally as such because um i mean as as you've said uh, a lot of people want to avoid getting on planes at the moment which i think is completely understandable um, so, so they'll be looking for places that, can, that they can um, they can get on the train, or they can they can get in a car, or or things like that. Um, obviously, I suppose in in terms of the safest way to travel, it would be the car um, in, in in many ways. So, I think based upon that, people will do a lot more kind of in, in, internal trips. Uh, I mean, probably if I can't get abroad, and and I I, I will see. Also, in terms of how it looks, how they're trying to keep people safe on aeroplanes and things like that, and, and how it works. Um, if I can't get abroad, then I think I definitely would be considering a kind of more domestic um, break. Um, I mean, is it something you would be considering a domestic break, George? Yeah, absolutely. I think 
<clears throat> we've got so many beautiful areas in this country um, throughout the United Kingdom that we will, I, I will definitely, definitely look at seeing what um, areas I, I can go to and everything. I mean, as I've often said on this show, um, I absolutely love Wales. Um, and if I can, I will definitely see if I can travel out to Wales probably next year um, just to have a week away around there. Because I think at times like this, you really do start to appreciate how beautiful your own countries are and 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 what how lucky we are to have the sea fronts that, and the landscapes that we do have um and kind of how do you think this uh poll is going to go uh i think it's gonna be roughly 50 50 spence i'd say that more people will say yes they will wait so i say 55 percent will say yes they will wait at least a year what about you I'm going to say that 70% uh, will wait for at least a year, but there is only one way to find out. And that is for you guys to vote on this poll. Will you wait at least a year before venturing abroad? And you could do that at wizardradio.co.uk forward slash listen. And we'll be back very soon. Hello and welcome back. So before that break, we asked, will you wait at least a year before venturing abroad? And to find out the results of that poll, please go to our Twitter page. That's at Wiz Radio. So unfortunately, an hour is already up. I don't know where it's gone because it's gone incredibly quickly. But thanks so much for listening to To Be Discussed with Cup and Go. We do really, really hope you've enjoyed this episode. So, as mentioned earlier, for the first segment of next week's show, we'd like you to send in your opinions on the question, what do you define as success and will or have you achieved it? You can send in those opinions by email to station at wizardradio.co.uk or through Twitter, that's at wizardradio. So remember that question is, what do you define as success and will or have you achieved it? And we're really looking forward to hearing those next week. It is now time for George and I to say ciao for now. So I've been Calendar. And I've been George Cup. Thanks very much for listening, everybody. We'll be back next week at the same time and the same place for another episode of To Be Discussed. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.